Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash themoviewave. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Audibletrial.com slash themoviewave. Papa! dive in the dirty waters of film criticism. Tricycle Radio presents The Movie Wave with Sergio Calvo. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of The Movie Wave. I am Sergio Calvo, motion arts feature editor of Tricycle Magazine. Joining the show today we have our regular guests, film critics George Sully. Hey, hey. And Susanna Marchant. Hello there. Thank you guys for joining the show. Today we're going to be talking about the Uruguayan horror, The Silent House. But before we get there, what have you guys been watching lately? A part of uh, Eurovision. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Just a a bit of an eclectic uh, collection of films. Um, I decided to watch both of the, um, the popular Alice in Wonderland uh, films, the 1951 original Disney, and then I thought I'd follow it up with the, the um, recent Tim Burton uh, one with Johnny Depp, just to just to see what um, what they've done with the New York. Cause I'd seen the original ages ago, but um, wanted to see it again just to make a comparison with the with the recent one and just to see what what was going on there. And uh, it was uh, pretty crazy, um, <laughs> you know, the usual sort of acid trip kind of fantasy stuff going on but the LSD, the LSD uh, trip yeah absolutely I mean it's it's uh, obviously got all the, the trappings of the of the classic with the same kind of characters and the same sort of universe but they really kind of restructured it and applied a sort of film a film scheme to it more, in a more Hollywood style whereas the original uh, Disney film was a bit more like much more faithful to the original book and just had this sort of really playful um, nonsense kind of um, happy-go-lucky style to it, whereas Johnny Johnny Depp's version, the Tim Burton version, um, went much darker and had a real kind of climax and and backstory, and they really um, fleshed it out in, a, in an interesting way. Totally rewrote it. Yeah, because it's no, actually, it's not the same story. It's not the Alice in Wonderland story. It's like it's like uh, what happens. When uh, Alice grows up and then she goes back to the Wonderland, and uh, it's, it's a completely new story. But there are flashbacks of her her, yeah. first, her first trip to Wonderland, and those flashbacks were actually the best thing in the film. And you wish they made it that way. They made the story, the original story by Lewis Carroll. But uh, also, I, one of the things I like most about, the, about this film was the parts that are in the real world, like in the in Tim Burton's film. The, mm-hmm. the, I think the, the the best bits are the bits in the real world, and then when they when they go to Wonderland, it just becomes really boring. So I, yeah, I, I don't know was, how he managed that. You, you just get very desensitized very quickly um, by the the sort of uh, sheer quantity of CGI effects and and all that. And yeah, no, I think you're quite right. The the more you know grounded scenes in in 
what you consider the real world were, were much more much more much more interesting. And uh, um, what, what year was the first film uh, Alice in Wonderland? What, what year is it from? Uh, from? Uh, what year was it made? Um, the uh, the original was 1951. Um, so it's a good 60 years before before this one. Alice, you're back. You're late for tea. I need a pig here. I love a warm pig belly for my aching feet. <laughs> Stop that. I thought it was um, a really, a really kind of entertaining um, revamp, and the way they apply a kind of messiah sort of um, idea to Alice being this this prophesied character that returns, um, as opposed to the original, where it's just um, her having this very um, fun dreamlike sequence. In this, it turns it into something a bit more. Um, a bit more developed, and uh, probably gave a bit too much screen time for Johnny Depp. I mean, he's obviously a fantastic actor, and his characters. There's a lot of you know um, uh, opportunity there to to have a really fascinating character, but he's he's not really supposed to be that that you know pivotal in the in the film. But they really made him um, made him a big deal, probably just because it was Johnny Depp. Yeah, maybe if he had less makeup. He would be. <laughs> I mean, he tried. He tried, he tried hard with the Scottish accent, and uh, uh, yeah, that was that was unusual. Him switching accents all the time. He tried um, probably um, too too hard to be funny. Yeah, but doesn't Johnny Depp say? I've heard it said in interviews that he always prefers characters where he has to have a lot of makeup or a lot of a lot of you know disguise. He doesn't like to sort of appear uh, as himself. In a, in a more sort of denuded sense, so in things like Edward Scissorhands, and in yeah. even in like Pirates of the Caribbean, he's he's heavily, yeah. you know, um, dressed up and and hidden away. Well, I love I love Alice in Wonderland. I've always been a huge fan, both of the the book and the the original Disney film, the animated version. And the mm -hmm. animated version, it's just, I think it's hilarious. It's so crazy. It's, it's absolutely it really is. ridiculously crazy. And I lo I love the scene, the tea party. Mm -hmm. oh, absolutely it's just so absurd and so funny yeah, and so I, think, I think that definitely um uh typifies the the uh, this idea of, of nonsense literature where you just you completely disregard logic and you just go hell for leather with whatever crazy ideas you want to do and there's there doesn't need to be rhyme or reason behind it and a lot of critics have tried to kind of um psychologically interpret um lewis carroll's writing and and see if there's any kind of drug references in it at all but it really doesn't need to be even though you've got things like the um the caterpillar who's like smoking hookah that's not that's not necessarily um a, an explicit reference to drugs at all it's just it's just nonsense for the sake of it so it's not an lsd trip then I mean, people people can read into things all they want. It's it's just him having a bit of fun, I think, really. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's Alice in Wonderland. Have you seen any <laughs> any more films apart of that? Um, I've also seen uh, Chicago because Whoa. I realised I hadn't seen it and thought I should. And yeah. I, I actually realised, just as I was starting to watch it, that I had no idea what the plot actually was. <laughs> I, I knew it was set in Chicago, and I knew it had um, Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones in it, and that was it. I actually didn't know anything else, and it was amazing. Really, a nice surprise that it was this fantastically slick production of, of 
um, a good kind of uh, legal kind of scenario where um, the main character Roxy, played by Renee Zellweger, is trying to um, get her, sort of her her place on the stage, whilst at the same time not get uh, capital punishment. And so she hires this slick lawyer, played by Richard Gere, to um, uh, help her out. And it's interspliced with all these fantastic uh, song and dance routines that are just really catchy. And also, they're the kind of songs that are so famous and so popular that I'd actually heard of lots of them without even realizing they were from Chicago in the first place. And it's got a very good cast. Like, uh, it's all-star cast. Absolutely. Queen Latifah was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, I must say, I've, I remember uh, renting this uh, DVD... Uh, after all the Oscar fever and all that, and uh, I said, well, I must watch this film, you know, it's the Oscar winning film, I, I must watch it. So I do it home, and I think I only lasted like 15 minutes, <laughs> and I wonder why. I think, I think it has to do with the... Because I like musicals sometimes. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of musicals, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not ashamed to say that I love films like The Sound of Music and Grease <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And then I like some more the musicals, like uh, uh, more alternative, like Dancing in the Dark or Once or right. these kind of films as well. But with Chicago, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't watch it. Uh, there was something like... The, I don't know, there's something that my body couldn't take. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found it surprisingly accessible and really right. very, uh, very entertaining. Um, for me, um, it felt I, like one of these... Uh, because it's based on a Broadway musical or one of these things, yeah? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I thought it was, yeah, I think it was just... Uh, it was good for the music numbers and all that, the music uh, scenes, for a part yeah. of that. It's just, I didn't feel engaged at all. Um... I don't know. I mean, it's it's fascinating when you do have a. But I'm, a, a I, maybe you should give it another go. You know, maybe I, maybe I, I was having it. a bad day. Who knows? I would recommend it. I mean, it's it's one of these films where because it's a musical, but being done um, cinematically, you get yeah. to do a lot of things that you can't do normally with a, a genuine stage musical. Yeah. So you kind of open up the the realm of, of possibility with. Um, you can do lots of clever things with editing and, and um, camera placement and multiple shots and all this sort of stuff and. and Uh, which they, they definitely uh, exploited, as they, as they often do with these kind of musical crossover films like um, Mamma Mia and things like that, where you can just jump between uh, song and, and uh, traditional acting and create this amazing sort of... Um, uh, you, you play them off each other. And particularly with Chicago, a lot of the, the song and dance routines were um, sort of fantasy sequences where... Roxy would be imagining uh, what it'd be like to actually be on stage and have her own act and stuff like that. So, um, uh, I don't know. I, th I thought it was very, very, very gripping, very, you know, okay. exciting. Yeah. All right. Uh, maybe, maybe I should give you another go sometime. <laughs> I still have Mamma Mia to watch. I haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> I, I keep postponing it. I am I am not a fan of right. musicals. I really am not. I I don't know. I can I love cinema in general, and but and I can suspend reality, but that is a totally different level of suspending reality. I can buy a story, but not the singing and dancing. I just do not. I don't buy it. I, it's not really to everyone's taste. I know it's it's. It's sort of starting to straddle two genres where you've got musicals which are, you know, for the stage and you've got films which are much more, you know, uh, they've got their own rules and things. And But Susanna, do you, do you sing in, in, your, in your life, like in real life? Do you sing? 
<laughs> like when you're in the shower <laughs> on or a like... regular basis when i walk Sometimes. to work when i wake up i just start the day with a song i don't know it just music starts playing well, you should be able to relate know? to these films huh? <laughs> if you sing in real life that's some people find it hard because they don't actually sing so then when they watch this mm. film it's like well i can't relate to that <laughs> <laughs> i don't sing by whistle mm. i don't know if it counts <laughs> it's, it's, it's in there with, with music I suppose at least <laughs> right uh, so that's Chicago alright so uh, now we move into Susanna what have you seen lately um, right. I adult, let me guess more of the day clock well, <laughs> well yes yes <laughs> obviously there are 10 of them it's not know? like I'm disappointed I was actually looking forward to this so. <laughs> Glad. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, I saw number seven and number eight. Um, so it was um, one about stealing and one about um, bearing false witness. Ah. Um, so the, uh, number seven um, was is basically a story of a young girl. I think she's maybe twenty, twenty-one. She just was got kicked out of university and um she goes home to her parents um and we find that there is a little girl in the house who um grew up thinking that her grandmother is her mother uh whereas in fact the young girl uh the 21 year old is her mother she had her at 16 and so when she had her in school her mother said that she would adopt a child to make life easier for everyone that's what she said but in reality you'll find out that the, that the grandmother actually wanted another child for herself so um, she in a way she stole the child from her own daughter with whom she was very disappointed and never had much love for so she has this new child that she can try all over again with um, and legally the, the, the real mother of the child doesn't really have anything to say because nobody really knows that she had the child everything um, was agreed on, everything was signed um, uh, there is no doctor, no nurse who can confirm who really is the mother okay. um, so the, the, the 21 year old decides to steal the child away because she she thinks that's you know her that's her child she has the right to do so, so that was kind of um, that was the one about stealing and that was um, it was weird it was because f you feel sorry for everyone in a way um, you do I I did feel sorry for the for the young mother who decides to kidnap her child, but at the same time I saw she didn't really have such a detailed plan of what to do it seemed that what she cared most about was revenge on her mother so after a while you kind of st stop feeling sorry for her and kind of think is is that really the right thing to do i mean it is her child but at the same time her mother seems to do much better a job of it than she would so it's kind of a yeah as, as all of them it was a it was a hard one to watch um and number eight um, is about a an ethics professor who has a visiting guest from the United States um, at her university um, who who wants to sit in on one of her classes. 
And it turns out that the visiting person was a um, is a Jewish woman who, during the war, was a little girl, and um, she was looking for a place to hide. Obviously, um, and so the ethics professor first offered her a place in her house, and then, but then she refused. After a while, she said that she couldn't. Um, that her, um, she couldn't lie. She's basically she said that she uh, her ethics wouldn't allow her to lie, even though it would save somebody's life, even though it could save the little girl's life. She would not take her because it would mean lying. So um, now, after forty years, the the little girl so, who somehow survived comes back to face that woman and and ask her questions about this say you know would you, do you really think that lying not lying is more important than saving a child's life in this situation um so both of them obviously Which, uh, that, that reminds, <laughs> reminds me of forrest gump <laughs> does it really how does it remind you of forrest gump? yeah there's this scene where forrest gump you know he's playing table tennis and he's doing all this uh so he's going to these uh, championships all over the yeah. world, and then uh, the mother gets this offer to to sell these new fantastic uh, table tennis rackets oh, that, yeah. that Forrest Gump plays with, and then Forrest says, "But those are not rackets I play with." And she says, <laughs> "Just a little lie, no one would notice." But you know, for Forrest Gump, a lie is a serious thing. You can't lie. <laughs> you, sh- you shall. You shall not lie. <laughs> <laughs> so you see Kevlowski sure. and Forrest Gump there's a connection there yeah I can totally see how it made you think of it but I don't see that how the situation is similar <laughs> very similar very similar because you shall not you shall not lie yeah um yes so I've got two left um and you know let's hope they're not as 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 um, draining as the other ones. I mean, I still, I, I really do not regret seeing them. They are wonderful. Um, and I also saw... That's time you cannot get back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also saw um, 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 an older film. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's 10 years old. Um, Chasing Amy. Oh. It's a Kevin, Kevin Smith film. So he's become oh, a regular okay. now. Yeah. He's a regular on the show. We should, yeah. make it a, we should make it a uh, section. As and now much as Kevin I love Smith Kevin section. Smith, I do not care for that film that much. Um, I mean, I, I love Kevin Smith. I think he writes fantastic dialogues, but I think mm-hmm. he would need help with the story. <laughs> because I think his idea of romance is, a, is weird. I don't know if it's because he's a man. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, there's just something wrong with it um i mean you know it's funny as always because he's hilarious um but i just didn't buy the story at all um basically it's the story of a um comic book artist who falls in love with a lesbian and he's really brokenhearted about the fact that she's gay um but after a while, he cannot take it any longer. He he tells her that he loves her, and somehow he manages to change her mind about her sexuality, <laughs> which I totally do not buy. <laughs> I think that's the funniest part of the film. 
<laughs> Pardon? I think it's the funniest part of the film where she changed her mind. It's like, okay, maybe uh, for this, uh, for you, I won't be lesbian. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, in the end, I can I can kind of see because there was this big dialogue there later that I can kind of see what he was trying to say that she at the beginning she wasn't gay, but then she decided that it's kind of um, limiting um, if you just choose one sex over another if you're really trying to find somebody who totally gets you, uh-huh. which is why she kind of started dating women and. <laughs> And and what I just I thought what did she forget that she used to be with Ben? Did she forget that she just totally it's it was just I didn't buy Easy. that one. Easily forgotten. <laughs> maybe maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe we should call a uh, Kevin Smith and uh, ask him to explain. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because don't he actually he actually explains that on a Q and A. Uh, but it's just quite big. He goes on and on for for. It's a quite a long story. So. He always <laughs> yeah, does. So, so yeah, you can you can get one of these uh, evening harder DVDs and he plays the the story. Yeah, the, um, the, I've got all of them. Um, I do. I think the last one that he did, last Q and A, um, that came out on DVD. That one was basically because usually he manages to answer only a few questions. He talks so much, but the last one was just one question, and he went on for two hours. I think. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a good. He's a good storyteller. He really <laughs> is. Um, so yeah, no, I I am really I am his fan, and I think like I mean he's dialogues and he's really really funny. It's just I didn't really buy the story, but I think he's a good storyteller. He also he also t- uh, recently told the the story of how how the chasing Amy story started. He's got uh, uh, the producer of uh, his films. That he's in the in his uh, a smartcast uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, he fell in love with a girl who apparently was lesbian, mm-hmm. and then he got inspired by this story and he started writing the the, the script. So it's it's kind of based in real stories. It's definitely autobiographical. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, slightly. slightly. I would say very slightly because I don't think she changed her mind. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, maybe he's uh, just sort of writing how he wanted it to turn out. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe, maybe the story isn't quite so... No, no, no. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, I mean, I can get... I understand that it is a fact that women are much more flexible about their sexuality than men are. But uh, I don't know. It was it was a bit you didn't, far, you didn't buy. far-fetched. It was far-fetched, but then, you know, I mean, it was supposed to be a comedy. I don't, you know, you're not supposed to take it that Too seriously. seriously. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, 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 um, and, you know, I suppose that's what that's what counts. <laughs> right, so that's I mean, it. If that's, if that's far-fetched, dogma is obviously completely down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the thing is, I totally can buy dogma. I totally do. I don't know, there is a way, if you see this is... I suppose if you know that the film is going to be a science fiction film, or if you know that the film is going to be about some sort of magical creatures and oh, yeah, and, yeah. and imaginary friends, then you can totally you if you know straight from the beginning, then you can watch it and enjoy it. But yeah. if the film is pretending to be real life, and then something <laughs> something weird yeah, I mean, happens suddenly, certain expectations. Yeah, I like when George says dogma is completely down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right, so that's uh, Chasing Amy. Uh, yes. have, have you seen any more happy, cheerful films like that? Happy, cheerful films. Like, like <laughs> now in the Decalogue? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't... No, I've been, I, have been go, I have been watching quite a lot of Kevin Smith recently, right. actually. Okay. Um, that, and that, that's also, your new oh, marathon. Obviously, I forgot Star Trek, the original series... Oh, wow! Wow! <laughs> yes, yes. That's not um, that's that's not down to earth, precisely. No. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> Just finished the first season of that one. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. It's it's kind of it's it's huh. I love Star Trek. I love sci-fi in general. We and it's just yes. it's just so weird to see this, you know, very old show with you know no special effects that you, like for example there is one scene where there is some sort of a tropical plant that moves you know and you can see that the plant is basically like a tube uh, made out of cardboard or something and in out, out from the inside of the tube comes out a human hand just in a, in a glove that's what it was. <laughs> uh, but it, it's hilarious. But I, I've you know, seen films like that. I've seen. <laughs> you know, they could do it. I, it's, you know, it was something, it was new, it was groundbreaking, it was brilliant, but at the same time, I get frustrated about the sexism in it. It's re- it really bothers me because it's supposed to be about future. But women yeah. keep going on with trays and serving the men drinks and. Uh, <laughs> when, when when was this series? I think it was wasn't it sixties or something sixties seventies. Yeah, kind of yeah, back back when it was a bit more male dominated. Oh goodness! Oh, and all those women—they're supposed to be serving on a starship. But there was a bit of trouble and there was like captain I'm frightened oh didn't you go to officer school don't you know yeah. how to handle yourself <laughs> seriously at, at least but, the, new, the new film is a bit a bit more balanced <laughs> yeah but I mean you know I, 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 I'm I, it's it's late for me to see it anyway I'm just I'm, I'm happy that I finally managed to because it, it is you know the basis of most sci-fi right now so. Absolutely! Wow, I think I should maybe check it out. No, this, <laughs> no, no in, in this life, maybe my second or third, <laughs> if I have the time. I still have to start watching Lost. Oh, uh, I was going to say exactly the same thing. I I feel like that's one of those things I've just missed out on, and I want to get the whole box set and just take like a week or two off. I just watch it nonstop. Yeah, like I, I think a couple of months ago, I watched the the pilot episode and I actually liked it. But then I, then I thought about it, it's like I'm gonna need my whole life to finish yeah. the series, so I just I don't have. To I, I have I'm I'm very uh, susceptible to getting hooked and obsessed with things. So I think if I if I started to watch it, it would be a slippery slope and I would lose a big chunk of my life. I think. Oh, definitely. I've I've never seen it either. Um, but yeah, it is dangerous. You start watching something and you just get. Yeah get sucked in well uh, is that all you got yes that's all I've got is that all <laughs> well, actually I, that is not what all I've got I'm sorry you have more okay I Whoa. watched I watched Wakewood I haven't heard of this well what's it about it was an Irish kind of a horror film but the, the, I, what I love about British cinema is that it, it doesn't really go straight with one genre if you've got horror films like The Cottage even I don't know if you've heard of it 
It also has some comedy. Um, comedy in it. It's got some drama in it. It's like it's a mixture. I I, I really like that in in, in the British cinema. Um, Wakewood is is um, a horror film about a couple who lose their chi- their child, and they move to a little village somewhere, um, where they discover that the villagers are pagans, and they have some sort of a weird. Um, weird thing that they can do to bring back the dead for three days so that people can properly say goodbye but there is a little hook the dead have to be dead for less than a year and the couple obviously lies because they're so desperate to get their child back they lie and they get their daughter back but there's something wrong with her (laughs) and you can predict what happens. I mean, because there's, you, there's you, been you, so many... Pardon? You know what Kirlowski says, you shall not lie. What did you see? What goes on in Wakewood is not for everyone. Listen to me. We want you to do this. Do it now. There is so many films, there's so many horror films about demon children and, you know, evil children that you can totally see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's still kind of enjoyable. I, I do like I do like a, 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 a British horror film from time to time because it's a bit yeah. different. Because it's not full on. Because uh, I heard that you're not so keen on horror films. Just, oh, God, just, no. Just horror. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about it in, in a minute. Right, so uh, I have. I'm quite excited actually because I have a few films that I've seen, um, and I was really, really, really impressed. And I'm gonna go through them quickly because I've got four films to talk about. And the first one is The Weeping Meadow with Theo Angelopoulos, and I never seen a Theo Angelopoulos film. I I knew he he was. uh, I I think he's the only. Uh, Greek filmmaker I ever heard of. <laughs> I always wanted to check out one of his films, and uh, well, now I become kind of a fan of uh, George's Lanthimos. He made the uh, doctors. I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna okay. keep, I'm gonna keep following him from now on. <laughs> I'm gonna, gonna stalk him. Gonna stalk his film career. But Angelopoulos was uh, one I wanted to always wanted to check, and this is apparently uh, the first uh, film from a, tr- a trilogy. And the film uh, starts in 1919 uh, with uh, some Greek refugees from uh, Odessa uh, escaping from the Bolshevik Revolution and coming back from uh, Odessa to Greece where they settle down in this uh, little village uh, and they build that village uh, and it's somewhere near uh, Thessaloniki in Greece. We see these uh, two kids growing up and falling in love in this village and then we move uh, forward in time where the girl uh, now is a grown-up and escapes from gay married to an old man and uh, then he picks uh, his real love uh, and uh, from childhood and they both travel uh, along this group of musicians escaping from uh, this uh, persistent presence of the old man trying to get her back where are you <laughs> and uh, <laughs> This, uh, this, if if you ever heard of Angelopoulos, he's known for uh, making very slow films, and the 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 pace is slow. Uh, but in contrast to this ultra fast pace of film and television nowadays, uh, remember that we are in the post MTV era or 
of uh, films like Transformers and things like yeah. that. Well, this film is refreshing for me and very revitalizing as well. And never, never, never ever boring. There are no close-ups in the film. We get very few cuts with the long uh, sequences shot in one take. Uh, and the fact that he keeps the camera in the, in the distance doesn't mean that the camera will not capture the, the, the performances, the great performances of the actors, and the audience still gets very emotionally engaged. And uh, this is not a theater emotion because the camera does move, and, and how it moves, the, the elegance and the, how efficient it is with the movement of the camera, and there's always a purpose here. And the, you know, the absolute mastery of the film technique uh, all throughout the film is just unbelievable. I, I would say perfection here. So uh, we're talking, uh, we're talking about a genius filmmaker, and uh, just discovering him, and I already think he's genius. I, I think it, it might only take one film to realize that Angelopoulos is one of the greatest, and the photography is just. Uh, uh, absolutely fantastic you can take any frame from this film and hang it hang it on your wall you know it's amazing so uh, i think this is a, a must see you know uh, highly highly recommended well serpico that's a Sidney Lumet film. Uh, I was talking about Sidney Lumet la last time because we were talking about the Sunset uh, Limited and uh, uh, that film was uh, located in a very uh, uh, a very small place. And uh, I was talking about 12 Angry Men, how is that very uh, limited location. And uh, yeah. it, it, I think Lumet works better in this, uh, with, this, with the spaces. And uh, Lumet, I think his best films are from the 70s. All the 70s films are, are amazing. This is a true story, actually, from uh, a New York undercover cop, an honest cop, <laughs> fighting against uh, police corruption. And uh, the performance, uh, it's, uh, uh, we have Al Pacino, and uh, his performance, uh, well, Al Pacino is always great, but in this film, is, I think it's particularly uh, really good. He's not over the, over the top like in some other films. Like he, it's, it's funny, you get Al Pacino with 10 different looks because he's an undercover police. So he's, you can tell he's going to have to change the looks uh, a few times. Uh, we we have some of the uh, in the, we have some of the themes uh, that I, they get repeated very often in Sidney Lumet's films. Uh, you have the theme of justice, integrity, uh -huh. corruption, honesty, and politics. Because I think his films are very political, and that that's uh, that's that's something that happens a lot with the seventies. The films from the seventies is actually my favorite decade when it comes to film. And uh, things that are very important in these uh, 70s films are always actors, you know. It's a very performance-based uh, story is very important and always very political. And uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to play a little clip from the film that pretty much sums up the situation in which uh, Serpico, a uh, character played by Al Pacino, finds himself uh, when refusing to take money, uh, the cops as part of their routine extort from local criminals. And here, um, her girlfriend is advising him to take the money as the easy way out of the situation. Did you ever hear the story of the wise king? No, but I got the feeling I'm going to hear it. <laughs> well, there was this, this king, and he ruled over his kingdom. Yeah. Right in the middle of the kingdom. There was a well, and that's where everybody drank. Mm -hmm. One night... This witch came along, and she poisoned the well. Ah. 
And the next day, everybody drank from it except the king. And they all went crazy. And they got together in the street and they said, we got to get rid of the king because the king is mad. Uh -uh. <laughs> and then that night, he went down and he drank from the well. And the next day, all the people rejoiced because their king had regained his reason. I think you're trying to tell me something. Me? Yeah. Uh, another film that I've seen is a friend's film called uh, Love Like Poison. Uh, this is a film from last year. And it's the story of Anna, a 14-year-old girl who returns home to her village in Brittany, France. Uh, her parents are going through a very painful separation. And the grandfather spends his days sick in bed. And he doesn't seem to have many days left. And... Uh, then we have the mother, who's a very religious character, and starts feeling attracted to the priest of the village. And oh, Anna, that's very good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, 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 becomes, it gets even more interesting. Anna, Anna starts a very precocious relationship with the choir boy. Uh, how do people pronounce choir boy? The, the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the boy of the chorus, let's say, and uh, from the from the church, and gets ready for a. Uh, for here, Catholic confirmation. Uh, so this this big Catholic theme in the, in the film. The film is basically about religion and sexuality clashing in this <coughs> little community. And the film's uh, biggest achievement is on the portrayal of the characters and their their inner mental battles, and also in the depiction of the the kids' transformation and their sexual awakening. And the, your, the, the actors, the young actors, are in, absolutely magnificent. Are, are incredibly believable, thanks, probably thanks to a very good direction by the director. Okay. Unknown director, I've got the name, is Katel Kilever, uh, promising. And uh, some of the most difficult scenes... Uh, um, Fantastic, uh, man. Some of the... the some film, some scenes are it could be very you know cringing or uncomfortable and uh, on hands of all, in in the hands of all the directors it would feel creepy but here are actually treated with very good taste and also with a very sweet uh, sense of humor and uh, I think some some people in the audience were finding it to be uncomfortable but I think it really succeeds succeeds in showing a believable uh, setup uh, with believable characters and also in transporting the viewer to uh, this uh, small village in Brittany and, and to this late age in childhood of self-discovery and confusion and when you kind of stop being a child and uh, you, know, mm. you don't understand what's happening. Uh, so in, in that way, I really, really like this one. Another film we, I've seen, uh, it's a Buñuel film. Remember, we were talking about Buñuel when yeah. we were discussing Rubber. And I kind of like, when we were discussing uh, the film, I thought, uh, I, I really need to watch Buñuel again. I, I, I remember watching this film before and really loving it. It's the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie or burguesie. I don't, I'm not as good in French as uh, probably you, you George. <laughs> <laughs> How do you pronounce bourgeoisie? I need to see it written down. Right, um, okay. It's the bourgeoisie, basically. So it's the discrete charm of the bourgeoisie. It's a film from the 70s again. And it's another film about characters. And, uh, bourgeoisie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my French is not that great, but if okay. my pronunciation is even worse. Sometimes it's I shouldn't fine. even try. Well, uh, <laughs> this Buñuel film, 
Uh, it's about characters again. And in, in this case, we have this upper middle class uh, characters, members of the, the uh, upper society or upper middle class society. That they attempt to have a dinner together and uh, they have several attempts and they constantly get interrupted in things, weird things happening. And uh, so these are characters on the road to nowhere. And I say this, and if you see the film, you probably understand. Well, I mean, with in the ro- on the road to nowhere, uh, the idea of a dream with it, a dream with it, a dream. Well, that mm. was that was explored already in Inception recently. Yeah, so, a, little, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, Buñuel, he he was uh, quite uh, uh, early in uh, exploring these things, and uh, he here it is actually used to make a point. <laughs> Uh, in this case, about socioeconomics with a commentary on the church and the military and the social classes. And this film also explores things like corruption and infidelity and arrogance and greed. And, you know, it's it's stylish. It's it's very stylish. I like the, the way it is made. And it's very surreal and very provocative, absurd and very, very funny. And again, uh, I think that Buñuel is another another master of cinema, you know, along Angelopoulos in, in Greece, uh, Buñuel. Mm. Uh, if Britain had Alfred Hitchcock, you know, and America had Orson Welles, uh, Spain had Luis Buñuel, even though he made most of his films in the exile. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was like really, really impressed by this film, and uh, I, I, I want to explore Buñuel more. I, I saw some of his films when I was studying in uni, but I, I really need to rewatch them. Uh, I, might, I might understand it better now, maybe. <laughs> Well, um, I, uh, I believe the Susanna found the film that we're going to talk about tonight a bit, uh, a bit terrifying. Uh, we, we, we're going to discuss now in a minute. Uh, uh, Why I believe it is really frightening is, is knowing that the last copies of Tricycle Magazine issue 5 are out there and you didn't get one. So you are still in time. Go and get it before it's too late. Issue 5 contains interviews with new upcoming filmmakers, thoughtful in-depth film reviews, and a showcase of the most promising new talents in art, fashion, music, theater, action, sports, and some other cool stuff that makes Tricycle <laughs> the ultimate urban culture lifestyle publication. You can buy a Tricycle magazine at tricycle.co.uk and also at facebook.com slash tricycle and get it delivered to your door for just the price of a pint of beer go to tricycle.co.uk it's t-r-i-s-i-c-k-l-e dot co.uk and find out more about music film arts alternative fashion it's an exciting site to explore read watch participate on the blog and get yourself a copy of the mag this this is Tricycle, the award-nominated publication. You want to vote for us? Go to scottmusicawards.co.uk and fill up the voting form and help us get in, getting up to the next level. We also recommend you to visit our movie blog at themoviewave.podbean.com where you can find our episode ar- archive and also some snappy film reviews. You can also find the Movie Wave on Facebook. Join us and get regular updates on all the movie action. There is something for everyone. Now let's have a wee break and we'll be back talking about Uruguayan terrifying horror film. (laughs) The Silent House, La Casa Muda.
For you, the listeners of the Movie Wave, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. On this episode, I would like to personally recommend Joe Simpson's Touching the Void, a gripping tale of adventure on the very edge of survival. This story has become one of the all-time classic epics of mountaineering and the book has reached far beyond the world of climbers. It is an inspirational story of humanity in the extreme. You can get Touching the Void or any other audiobook of your choice free by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash themoviewave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash themoviewave for your free audiobook. You are listening to The Movie Wave. Now we are back and it's time to talk about The Silent House. Uh, unlike the Eurovision Song Contest, The Movie Wave still hasn't surrendered to the power of uh, globalization. Now we still review films made in languages that aren't English. Mm-hmm. So far, we <laughs> wait until we get absorbed by a big corporate media group. And then we can talk about the artistic nature of a Michael Bay film. Yeah. The Silent House is made in Spanish, and it's the story of Le Laura and her father Wilson, who settled down in a cottage they have to renew, since mm-hmm. its owner will soon put the house up for sale. They will spend the night there and repair the following morning. Everything seems to go smoothly until Laura hears a sound that comes from outside and gets louder and louder on the upper floor of the house. (laughs) What do you guys think of of the silent house? Um, well, I usually consider myself someone capable of detaching uh, myself from uh, any kind of scary film, and I can usually just sit there and appreciate it, and typically I don't get scared, but this is probably the first time in a good long while where I have been genuinely terrified by a film, genuinely, genuinely terrified, and it was just such a, I thought it was so powerful and so, so scary. And the fact that it was like almost entirely one take, that I found really compelling. And you just couldn't just couldn't look away, knowing that that you, it was just there was just no editing, and it was just all you know we, we were there with her. And the way it was shot, it was clearly all handheld camera, yeah. and it gave it this kind of weird voyeuristic tone where it just felt like it was someone else who's. Or like as if we were there watching, as opposed to it just being shot with like static cameras that um, that keep everything level, like a traditional film. It was much more like we were there, and it made it very real and very tangible and palpable. And uh, almost always following her around, the girl yeah. Laura, all the time. And it just the amount of times I jumped and the scene with the f- the camera and the camera flashes in the darkness. I thought it was one of the most compelling films I've ever that, seen. That's the best scene in the film. Absolutely. But I think, I think I've seen that before in a different film, and I can't figure out what film it was. The idea of it's, the 
camera taking flashes. I think it's been done. Uh, the first thing I thought when That's I saw not in the uh, Silence of the Lambs. I must be in an, uh, one of these films. I don't possibly. Know. The, the first thing I thought when I saw the camera was that I'll they'll probably use the flashing as as a way of illuminating the room and doing some like clever clever things. But they, they, there really was a lot of a lot of clever touches to the film. They used um, mirrors quite a lot, which yeah. I thought was very nice. And obviously the the standard um, atmospheric technique of, of having very low lighting and just having torches so it throws shadows everywhere yeah and it just it really drew you in with with all like the sounds and every time there was something particularly traumatic the sound always got muffled you know when um she first runs out the house uh part way through and it, everything just goes weirdly kind of as if um as if the microphones have all been like covered in something so that it's all kind of weirdly reduced and that lent lent it this really eerie air and Oh, I'm still kind of reeling from it. I only watched it about an hour ago, and it's <laughs> really, really you're re- scary. You're recovering, <laughs> yeah, genuinely in a way that I really didn't expect, and I haven't, I haven't had that effect from a film in a very long time. And it's also we must say that the 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 plot is actually based on a true story. That that made it even scarier. Yeah. <laughs> you always get scared when you no, know it's, it actually happened. Even though this 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 story, I think it happened in the late forties, so it's, uh, it's yeah. quite a long time ago. Well, yeah, I didn't find this out until uh, after watching the film. So when when I watched the film and I, I kind of knew, or I was suspecting it was based on a true story, or I don't know if they they say something on the final credits or something. And then when it, when you you know. Uh, uh, when I was, fi- I think I was finding this out on the final credits or something like that. that I kind of figured out this. I think it's based on a, on a, on a true story. And they say like in the in, in memory of someone and someone, and they mentioned two names. And then I was wondering if these were the real people. And at yeah. the time, I thought, oh, this is of very bad taste. You made a horror film or something that happened. Like I thought it was something recent. But then when I, saw, when I realized it was something of a story that happened in the forties, I just said, yeah. oh, fair enough, you know. It's a bit, yeah. It's they a bit, they bit made awful. Titanic a hundred years later. That's fine. Yeah. Although World, how is it? World Trade Center. That was like very few years later, and I wasn't too sure about it. Yeah, that's. But that's sort of that's a different kind of kind yeah. of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why you, Susanna, the think of the film. I I don't think you <laughs> you, you you managed to make make it too far. <laughs> no, I uh, I'm not a fan of horror films, but the funny thing is like I there are there are few horror films that I did see. Uh and for example Wakewood, I would s- mm-hmm. say that's a horror but the, because it's British, yeah. it's not so terrifying. It's just a yeah. story which sometimes gets scary whereas horror films c- constantly play on oh I on, love on it this. <laughs> I, I love know it. I mean, it's because Susanna I, you need to tell yourself it's only a movie remember <laughs> it's only a movie no you see I totally I totally get that it's just that I can't sleep later yeah, or if yeah. I can yeah. I get really terrible nightmares and the, the nightmares are so terrifying sometimes yeah. I just I, I wake myself at night or all sweaty and stuff I just can't take it so I thought it's better for 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 my health not to watch <laughs> horror films. No, I, I actually I completely understand. I think probably a lot of uh, listeners can relate to the same thing. Actually, yeah. it's, even myself, uh, I've been postponing uh, paranormal <laughs> activity for you know quite a long time. <laughs> I think because I heard that it's so terrifying that people don't you know they can't sleep when they go to bed. Uh, and sometimes they go to bed and I'm thinking, oh, I'm glad I haven't seen that film. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I still really want to see that. I, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a horror film fan. Yeah. I've always always liked a good a good trashy sort of um, horror culty classics. They're all they're all fantastic. And I think even though it's great to approach it with a you know to not get scared, just think it's only a film. I think the most fun thing is to forget that it's only a film and to really let the suspension of disbelief pull you away and just yeah. you, getting absorbed in it. I think is is it's a real kind of. Uh, invigorating experience I think getting scared I feel like it's 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 good for you <laughs> it's kind of adrenaline sort of makes you feel more alive I don't know it might just be me but that's funny that's kind of the pleasure that the audience it's, finds it's on horror films really. I totally see the thrill I totally do I just cannot take it later yeah. um, it's a masochist uh, masochi- masochi- pleasure no, listen, I once watched 28 Days Later I think that was 28 Days Later six months it took me not to have bad dreams. <laughs> so you weren't feeling okay 28 days later? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you stole my I- joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's just, it's too hard. It's too hard to do. I can totally see why people like them and and i mean sometimes i do unfortunately do this to myself and i think oh maybe this one won't be so bad and i watch something and then again i have nightmares i like no i just I, it's just better for me if i don't do it but i um i can totally appreciate why people like horror films and i'm not slagging them off at all because i can totally see why they get popular um i do not however get slasher films because that that's a difference. That slasher films just kind of gross you out, and yeah. it's disgusting. It's a good horror film will make you jump yeah. and will scare you, yeah. witless, without having to use any blood at all. That's a good horror film, mm-hmm. or without having to 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 use like gore and blood and stuff. Hitchcock was so good at it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. some people can get really like even. <laughs> Even recently as well, you can get some some films that can scare you witless with little scenes that are not really violent, but it's the build-up, it's the mystery, you know. But but the slasher films I don't get because they just basically gross you out. It's just yeah. blood. It's, and- it's, that's why in that kind of comparison, it makes them seem sound like uh, they're sort of cheap. They're just mm. relying on the, the instant, uh, f- the shock factor of just violence and gore. And that's hostile. Like like hostile. I was gonna say hostile. Yeah. Yeah. Where's real thrill, real fright? That's 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 what you're not shock, but actual fright. You know. And yeah. You jump. Yeah. Whereas there is there is comparatively a lot more power. One could argue in just creepy little things like having a girl in the background that you didn't notice. Like there's something something about creepy little girls that they use quite well in the silent house but they've also done in things like the ring and the grudge and it's all just something just creepy about them they don't even need to be moving they're just in the background yeah they do that in a lot in um asian movies yeah. they've yeah. used yeah. little girls a lot and know, women with like long hair uh, long that hair. covers their faces yeah. long black hair yeah <laughs> I, I really i did like how when they westernized um stuff like The Ring and The Grudge, um, they kept that effect, uh, which I thought was nice. And even with The Grudge, it's still set in Japan, even though it's got Sarah Michelle Gellar um, in it, and it's become quite, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. I watched the the original Japanese versions, and they're, they're just as scary. Yeah. I mean, The Ring, the original Rings are a bit... Um, 
they came across a bit amateurish, but the original Grudge was just as terrifying, if not more more terrifying than Wait, the. Uh, have you the seen uh, Have you seen Dark Water? No. Well, I saw this. I saw Dark Water, uh, the original one, the original Japanese one. Well, I believe it is Japanese. The director of The Ring, I think, is the same director. And I, oh, saw, okay. I saw it at the Galway Film Festival a long time ago. I remember oh. watching it, and the audience, everyone in the audience was absolutely terrified, <laughs> gra- grabbing their seats, and you know, kind of like you could hear, you could hear the terror. <laughs> I, I, I was also terrified, but I thought it was a brilliant film. I thought it was really good. And you don't get any of these, you know, women with long hair and, you know, all, <laughs> all, all this image, Im- the whole imagery that's been repeated, repeated so many times on, on a Japanese cinema. I thought this one was much more original. And then we have the, um, we had the remake and I saw the remake and it just left me completely indifferent. <laughs> Yeah. So the, all the all the power of the, the 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 first film, the original film, it was all gone. I don't know what happened there. But well, yeah, sorry. I think, sorry, I just think like a classic example of, of remakes not living up to their originals in terms of horror films, at least, would be The Wicker Man, where the oh. the seventies classic is absolutely superb, yeah. really yeah. really eerie indie. Um, yeah. uh, genuinely terrifying on many levels. Then you've got the appalling Nicolas Cage remake where they changed all sorts of things and with ham acting, and it's just so disappointing. You have Nicolas Cage punching a woman several times. <laughs> it's just, it's, what is this? <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. You don't know how to take it. You are like, you're first you're shocked, and it's like, what should I do here? Should I be outraged? Yeah. Should, should I laugh? What the hell is this? What is he trying to say? It, it turned it into a comedy. I think. Yeah. And one of the funniest things about it was that you knew they were trying to not be funny, and it just was because it's Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm How can you take it seriously? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think he had his good days. Yeah. At some point, I think, but it's sort of gone downhill, really. I mean, once, once he left Las, once once he left Las Vegas, it all went down, you know. Yeah. I mean, that, leaving Las Vegas, I think, was his. One of his latest good films, and a uh, part of the well, he made Bat Lieutenant. That was really good. Mm. Are we going on the tangent again? I think we've gone on a quite a big tangent. There. <laughs> Should we go back to the Silent House? Okay, let's let's get back to the the back on track. Uh, I I completely agree when uh, when you say uh, the psychological uh, horror is much more effective, and I, mm-hmm. I think you appreciate it a lot when you when you see a film and you notice that the director was actually thinking on uh, what does actually make people scared. Mm. Oh, absolutely. He was ticking so many boxes with um, the, just the atmosphere and the, the way that um, all the, just the, oh, the whole, the whole thing from start to finish. I was, I was just overwhelmed by the fact that it was one take. It was like, think of this involved in just trying to shoot that and how they have to plan the whole sequence and the poor actress has to put up with this terrifying scenario consistently with no breaks. Just yeah. a remarkable achievement, as well as a very moving and terrifying horror. So, Susanna, how far how far in the film did you make it then? Yeah, like ten minutes. <laughs> ten, ten minutes. <laughs> right. I I did. I did. Look, as committed as I am to these podcasts, I do not want to give myself nightmares for the next half a year so it's just not worth it really (laughs) (laughs) yeah our our mental health is first (laughs) priorities 
what but the, what do you think about what you saw at least if you can judge that the, what the, the, the 10 minutes that you saw um i think it it gave it gave me well i think that one of the reasons it disturbed me so much was because it gave me the feeling that i was there yeah um a lot of a lot of yeah a lot of films are are kind of um you you're you're the you're you stand away from them kind of because they're made with with um with a lot of money they have a lot of money a lot of um um stuff invested in them they're really well made um this one i'm not saying it was badly made i'm just saying it it seemed um, hmm, I don't even know how to call the polish of a of a, of a Hollywood production. Yeah, which which which, which made which made it more real. I don't really know exactly, how to explain exactly. that. It's it's almost like almost a kind of Blair Witch kind of thing. It's what I was saying with that with the whole handheld shots. Hmm. Yeah, very um very moving and and uh, never never going idle. There's no no inertia. It was always moving. And moving in a very human-like way because it looked like it was someone carrying a camera rather than it being shot as a film. Yeah, really yeah definitely. Reduce the distance <laughs> between, between the viewer and and the action. Yeah, Otherwise, the camera is always kind of moving around and swooping from side to side. You felt like it was all going on around you. It definitely there was no kind of fourth wall where there's a barrier between you and the action. And you kind of detach yourself. You felt really immersed in it, and that's what made it so so terrifying. What do you think yeah. about the the fast fast motion parts? Um, I don't know if you noticed, but there are bits in the film where the the girl is moving around the house, and because they probably when they shot it, maybe they didn't think about it, but when they were editing, they realized that the the scene was too slow. So what they did, they just fast paced it. Oh really? And uh, for me, I, I don't know. For me, it was quite visible, but uh, I didn't notice. Uh, maybe I mean, the, maybe the more you get immersed in this in the story and the film, maybe you, you forget these things and you don't you stop paying attention. <laughs> I it's just every time I watch a film, I, mean, I pay too much attention to the technical things. You know? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, it's I still it's still fun to do that. It doesn't really yeah. sap the the enjoyment. You'll have to explain a couple of things about the plot for me because I. I, I think I got it, but I, I, I was I was as confused as you were. I think were I, I think really I got most written. of it at the at the on the end credits part. Yeah. Oh yeah. There is there's definitely some explanation there, um, but I mean, luckily there wasn't a huge amount of dialogue in the film because the subtitles were really quite weirdly written. There were lots of odd characters that popped up in words that weren't English and. Um, I just—it was kind of some of them just didn't. Most make of sense. the most of the film they don't talk at all. No, but just in, in the very begi- in the very beginning and in the very end, and that's it. Yeah. Um, uh, most of the film it's just uh, a girl crying, which is actually, <laughs> which is actually uh, really hard for the actors, I, I guess, because uh, just to carry the whole film or here being here been Without running scared. It's really, Without a break, really it's hard. just mad. <laughs> But you know uh, this this thing about the end credits because I I always believe that when the credits start uh, rolling at the end of the the film the film is finished. No, no in this case. <laughs> I, I always I don't know for some reason you know it always annoys me a little bit when you get stuff during the the credits or after the credits because there's a a full. Uh, Full sequence after the credits, the end credits of the film. Yeah, oh, quite an eerie one as well. Yeah, I wonder. And I, I thought it was great because um, typically in horror films you'll have this this comfortable um, duality where scary things happen at night 
and it's always safe and fun in the day. And they always have a kind of alternation where, obviously not all the time, but that's a kind of traditional horror film convention. And yeah, something still kind of kind of scary happens at the very end. And uh, but it's in the daylight, and I thought that was that was pretty scary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought uh, that was weird. I was expecting the film to be finished when the credits came up, and then it wasn't. Yeah. And that wasn't that unusual. Yeah, well, this, uh, for me, this is just basically an experiment, you know, make a whole mm. film in one single location, shot in one long take in real time. And it's actually, that's, yeah. that's one of the things, the, the, it's, I think it's on the poster, uh, real fear in real time. In real time, yeah. 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 And I, I started liking the film, I admiring the fact that it was shot in one take. Although you can easily tell that they've cheated, like Hitchcock cheated in the rope. <laughs> But this isn't Hitchcock, for, or the, well, at least for me, the suspense here falls a bit flat. I'm very soon in the film, you stop caring and, and you wish you were watching something else. But that was, that's my opinion. <laughs> or or I, I, that's, that's the way I felt. This is the first Uruguayan film I've ever seen. I've never seen an Uruguayan film. And I think the reason why a film from Uruguay got widely, widely released is because they thought it had the commercial maybe potential of Spanish-speaking films like uh, The Orphanage or Wreck. Uh, mm. But for for me, this this film doesn't have the. I don't think it has the quality, and uh, and I don't think it had the success either. But uh, uh, that that's, that's still still my. Uh, I still recognize that there is a lot of good stuff in the film, and uh, I recognize the filmmaker's audacity as well. You know? He tried to make something different, like he he has challenged himself, and I, I really respect that. And uh, the, when it's, yeah. when the film is good, it's really good. That, like that sequence that you mentioned about the flashes of the, uh, cam- <laughs> the photo camera. And uh, I think when it's bad, when it's bad, it actually reminded me of a film, a film, a horror film I made ten years ago. It was called The Open Door, and it, it takes place in a house in the countryside. And noise, <laughs> noises and darkness played an important part in that film yeah. so when it was bad it reminded me of, of the what I made but when it was good uh, it, it, made, it made me uh, have respect for, for the filmmaker but I think it's uh, yeah it's good, it's, good. it's ups and downs for me it was uh, of course it wasn't Hitchcock but it wasn't the right. the, the orphanage or wreck either and uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I was a little bit disappointed because I started really excited and then I Kind of lost interest throughout the film. Uh, well, see, that's that's that'll be the problem with your your expectations. Yeah. I didn't really know what to expect. I, I just kind of went in neutral and was just very impressed. I don't know if I'm just because it's a genre that I particularly like, or if I'm just easily Im- impressed. <laughs> but I, <laughs> no, I, I don't think you're easily impressed. Really, yeah. I thought it was really powerful in in a way that I hadn't hadn't seen in a, in a very long time. Yeah. I agree with some of the points you made, and uh, there are a lot of very good things in the film, and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, it takes a lot of technical skill as well to make a film, a film like this, and uh, that's something uh, it, it kind of made me respect the, the film. And uh, even though I was disappointed uh, at in the end, uh, you know, and uh, I thought, oh, this Uruguayan film is not as good as the Spanish film. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it's just the only one I've seen, you know, and there's probably a lot of more to watch. So I haven't given up on Uruguay. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Um, let's have some final words here. Uh, did you, George, recommend this film? Um, if you want to uh, be scared a lot, <laughs> then I would recommend this film. Definitely, definitely. 
uh, I thought it was uh, incredibly compelling, incredibly gripping. I could not look away. Uh, so one of my friends called me during the film, and I jumped out of my skin. <laughs> my phone went off. It was, and and it was just, I was so surprised. Well, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. I think so. I, I was, I was just so surprised to find myself as scared as I was, and I just thought they, he really effectively combined a lot of. Um, r- amazing horror techniques in very very subtle ways. It was it's a very it was a very reduced downplayed um, horror that really wasn't in your face apart from when it needed to be. And that that contrast of having a lot of long moments of silence and tension and atmosphere um, contrasted with sudden you know sudden jumpy moments. It's you know it's textbook horror, but done so so well. So what what about you, Susanna? Will you will you recommend? <laughs> I really can't. Will you recommend really the first ten minutes of the film? Would you recommend the opening ten minutes of the film? Now? <laughs> oh, fantastic I, ten minutes! <laughs> <laughs> I cannot comment. I'm just gonna say, if you like horror films, if you like being scared, then I'm pretty sure this will scare you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I would personally recommend to watch instead the Blair Witch Project. Uh, it's it is also a tip film. I thought, this, I thought this was much better than the Blair Witch Project. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Personally. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I fi- uh, for me, the Blair Witch Project is... Uh, it, for me, I, I find it more effective. And, uh, I mean, the Blair Witch, obviously, undeniably, a, a cornerstone in um, in that kind of uh, realis- realistic kind of filmmaking. Um, okay. uh, obviously, still very powerful. Yeah. Well, when it, when it comes to the this long one-take shots... Uh, uh, for the people who dislike the handheld shots and they don't like that on the Blair Witch Project or not this film, I would uh, check out Brian De Palma's movies. I personally like the opening tracking shot of the bonfire of vanities. Uh, there are a lot, a lot of them there in, the, in Brian De Palma. Or if you are a patient viewer, what's, a, <laughs> what's the Theo Angelopoulos film, uh, The Weeping Meadow? A masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is it for episode six of the movie Wave. Uh, thanks, to George and Susanna, for joining the show. No trouble. Uh, you can read both uh, George Ulis and Susanna Marchand's film reviews both on Tricycle Magazine and its glorious website at tricycle.co.uk, where you can also get a copy of the magazine delivered to you, whether you live in Montevideo, Geneva. Chicago, Bristol, Rio de Janeiro, or anywhere in the world. Tricycle Magazine is now responsible for the content of this program, and all opinions and views expressed on the show are solely of the individuals. Uh, the show uh, will have a little break for the next for the next few weeks, and we will be back sometime in June, where we will be covering the Edinburgh International Film Festival. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be surfing the wave. Soon. This podcast is a production of Calvernet Entertainment for Tricycle Magazine. Find out more at tricycle.co.uk. That's T R I S I C K L E dot co dot uk. This Rows of photographs and faces like mine Who do we become without knowing where we start? <laughs>
Everything that you know by heart 